0: The COVID cluster at Taiwan Taoyuan International Airport has expanded to eight people after three night shift cleaners tested positive. Ninety-three other cleaners on the same shift tested negative. They are now under quarantine at two centralized facilities, and so far, genetic sequencing results have come out for four of the eight cases in the cluster. All four involve the Omicron COVID variant.
1: It's the dead of night at Taoyuan's airport, and a group of people are boarding a quarantine bus. They are the night shift cleaning staff of Terminal 2. They're headed to a quarantine facility after another three of their colleagues tested positive for COVID. The cluster infection at the airport now involves eight people.
2: The close contacts of cases number 17230, 17238 and 17308, including family members and contacts in the community, have all tested negative. As for the members of the Friendship Association, we are conducting expanded community testing.
1: Four of the eight cases have been confirmed as Omicron infections. One of the cases had visited a community activity center three days in a row from December 31st to January 2nd to meet friends and play mahjong. A lawmaker suggested that she had attended the activity center's countdown event, which had nearly 1,000 participants. But the head of the activity center has denied her attendance.
2: She didn't sign up for the event, because she couldn't have signed up even if she wanted to. We had attendance restrictions in place. She didn't participate. The event ended right after the countdown. It was only then that she came over.
1: Taoyuan's health department set up a rapid testing station on site to test about 800 members of the association. All testing was completed in one day.
2: It was early in the morning and I thought I'd be more at ease if I got tested. The activity center is closing for a while. We'll all have to keep an eye on our health. We have sent about 20 colleagues to help with the efforts. We have three queues for testing. We wanted to test all 800 people in one day to get it done as fast as possible.
1: The government has expanded testing to contain the airport cluster. In addition, the CECC is readying medical resources in the event of a wider outbreak. Emergency response hospitals in Taipei, New Taipei, Jilong and Taoyuan have been asked to clear out 20 percent of their regular beds in three days for use as COVID beds.
2: Given the current situation, we need to prepare a medical response earlier. Otherwise, if there ends up being a large number of patients, we won't have enough time to clear out space for them.
1: Omicron has proven prone to causing breakthrough infections and reducing the protection of vaccines. The CCC urged all eligible people to get booster shots as soon as possible to be protected in the event of an outbreak.
0: The CCC has confirmed the new Omicron cluster at a Taipei hotel. It involves two guests who stayed at the same floor of a hotel in Zhongzheng District. Testing has been conducted on close contacts of the case of the cases including hotel guests, hotel workers and family members. So far all the tests have come back negative and this is Taipei's fourth hotel cluster since early December.
2: This is 805 This case involves a hotel in northern Taiwan. The two guests lived next to each other in rooms 803 and 805. Cases number 17073 and 17127 were both infected with the Omicron variant. The strains are nearly identical, as they're different only at one point. Looking at their time of check-in, their quarantine periods overlapped between December 22nd and December 24th. The two cases can be considered a cluster. It's been determined that case number 17073 passed the virus to 17127. So we have reclassified 17127 as a local case." An investigation is underway
0: into how one guest infected the other. The CCC said that tiny cracks were found in the ceilings and partitions between the two guest rooms. But the CCC emphasized that the investigation is ongoing and that it's still unclear whether transmission was possible through the cracks. Well, it's that time of year again for the college entrance exams. At the end of the month, high school seniors will face the general scholastic ability test. This year is like the last, in that they'll be taking it with the pandemic underway. On Thursday, authorities announced a raft of rules to keep students safe on exam
2: day. Last year, students took their college entrance exams with face masks on and COVID precautions in place. On Thursday, authorities announced safety measures for this year's exam.
1: Administrators and proctors must all be vaccinated. The second measure pertains to the number of test takers per room, which as I said at the start, will be reduced from 42 to 36. The third is that proctors will assist test takers with sanitizing their hands as they enter the exam room.
2: As before, each exam site will have a single entrance, with multiple cues and force for fewer screening. Temperature checks will start at 7.30 a.m., half an hour earlier than before. Test rooms will not be air-conditioned, and the windows in all four corners will be left open 5 to 10 centimeters for ventilation. As before, parents or relatives will not be permitted to enter the exam site. This year, the number of test takers per room will be reduced to 36. There will not be a makeup exam. The College Entrance Examination Center will designate eight test sites. To accommodate students undergoing quarantine, confirmed COVID cases may not sit the exam.
1: If quarantined students are found to be taking the test outside of the special accommodations, we will first verify the fact and then send it to the examination committee for deliberation. The heaviest penalty will be stripping the student of the right to take the test. At the same time, we will notify the relevant government authorities.
2: This year's college entrance exam will be held from January 21st to 23rd. More than 116,000 students are registered to take it, marking a record low. With domestic COVID cases on the rise, authorities are taking no chances ahead Ahead of the big exam Taiwan says it will
0: create a 200 million US dollar fund to support ties with Lithuania it will be called the Central and Eastern Europe investment fund and it will prioritize companies willing to invest in Lithuania the announcement comes after after Lithuania's president said it was a mistake to let Taiwan open an office under its own name the remark shines a spotlight on divisions in Lithuania's leadership amid high tensions between the country and China On Wednesday, Washington expressed concern about China's efforts to bully Lithuania. We have immediate concern uh, about uh, the government of China's attempts to bully Lithuania, all because Lithuania chose to expand their cooperation with Taiwan. Here again, this isn't just about Lithuania, but about how every country in the world should be able to determine its own foreign policy free from this kind of coercion. On Wednesday, U.S. Trade Representative Katherine Dai held a video conference with Lithuania's foreign minister. She expressed the U.S. continued support for Lithuania in the face of Chinese coercion. That same day, Lithuania's government ordered a state-owned railway firm not to sign a contract with a China-owned Spanish bridge builder. The decision was made due to national security interests, according to a spokesman of Lithuania's prime minister. During COVID, temples have been severely impacted by the loss of visitors. And that, uh, that hit not just the temple itself, but everyone who depends on temple culture to make a living. Even at Longshan Temple, one of Taipei's most iconic religious sites, the pandemic has left its mark. The bustling maze of streets around the temple once hosted dozens of stores selling religious items. Now those businesses are struggling to stay afloat. Let's take a
2: look. Back on years, Longshan Temple brought prosperity to its neighborhood. But during the COVID-19 pandemic, visitor numbers took a steep dive. In today's Taiwan, changing family dynamics mean religious habits are shifting, and the demand for Buddhist home supplies is falling. The 50 or 60 Buddhist shops that once thronged this district have now dwindled to just a dozen or so.
1: There are fewer religious events. Locals don't light incense when they come to pray at the temple, and young people don't come and pray at all. They used to buy a whole set of supplies, but now folks just buy a single item, so the sales volume has changed radically.
2: This Buddhist supply store owner says wood and bronze prices have gone up, but sales have gone down. He's caught on both sides.
1: My customers don't have such big budgets as they used to, and they're not as keen to purchase as they were. It's not a life necessity. Our production costs are going up and up, and as costs rise, our profits gradually decrease. I think many stores are pivoting to offer arts and crafts and the like. That's not to say it won't have a big impact on them. Of course, if you don't change, then it will have a big impact.
2: Business rents are high, the price of raw materials is high, and sustaining a business in COVID is no mean feat. For these traditional stores, new ventures are the name of the game.
0: Taiwan's consumer price index rose 2-point-62 percent last December, according to government data released Thursday. This marks the fifth consecutive month that inflation exceeded the central bank's 2-percent target. Over the course of 2021, Taiwan's CPI rose 1.96 percent, the most in 13 years. The cost of a basket of 17 government-tracked goods went up by 3.46 percent in December from a year earlier. That's the greatest increase in 39 months. The cost of eating out rose 2.39 percent, the greatest gain in 81 months. The price of dining out is expected to peak in March and is not expected to rise further after the first quarter. More than 90 percent of Taiwan's people live in cities, making urban warfare a top priority for national defense. On Thursday, the military conducted a combat simulation at a mock town in Kaohsiung. Thirty troops defended the town from 30 assailants, using rockets and smoke bombs, as well as buildings and other physical structures.
1: at this mountain road near a town, barriers have been laid by a defensive unit, which uses 66mm rockets against advancing enemy tanks. Unable to stop the enemy, the defensive unit retreats to the nearby town. A fierce battle ensues in lanes and alleys. The defensive unit hides in a building's upper floors, waiting for an opportunity to attack. The assailants split into groups and enter the building one by one. At critical junctures, smoke grenades are used to obscure the enemy's line of sight.
2: In close quarters combat, CQB, the first step is to search the streets and then clear and sweep all the buildings. Buildings are cleared by the assault and screening units. Vision and angles are quite limited in urban warfare because it's a more narrow space, so when we're looking out for the enemy, there may be some dead angles and places that we are unable to see. In the past, we were just going through the motions. Now we have this laser engagement system. If you get hit by the enemy, you get marked as dead. After you're marked dead, you can't continue fighting we used the HR-93 communication system to connect with the other team leaders, to set a meeting point and reassemble. Throughout the training process, we instructors emphasize that the troops shouldn't put too much emphasis on winning or losing, as the point is the training itself. In an urban warfare scenario, the attackers have an advantage over the defenders. If you don't have a complete plan, if you have no firepower support from your superiors, if you don't make proper use of your obstacles and booby traps, if you have no way of neutralizing the enemy then the enemy will very quickly break through your defenses, resulting in huge casualties.
1: During the drill, units tested their skills in an urban setting. Small tactical units and medics also got a feel for a real combat scenario so that they could be ready to act if the time comes.
0: The new power party has announced its first wave of candidates for the 2022 9-in-1 elections. It's nominated 10 people for council seats in Taipei, New Taipei, Taoyuan, Ilan, and Hualien. They include fresh faces to politics as well as a former diplomat.
1: The new power party has announced its candidates for this year's local elections. In Taipei, New Taipei, Taoyuan, Ilan, and Hualien, it's fielding a total of 10 candidates for council seats. Some were seasoned on diplomatic assignment or at the legislature.
2: I, Liu Shijie, have an unshirkable responsibility to Shilin and Beitou. Taipei is our capital city, and our capital needs councillors with an international outlook. I found out that my high school classmate Samantha Tai is also going to run for Xinjiang, but we're running for different parties. What I mean to say is I believe this generation can overcome party lines. I look forward to working with others in the future to stand up for the issues that matter to young people.
1: The new power party plans to nominate 50 candidates for councils across Taiwan. It says it will form a party caucus at councils where they win three seats or more. It faces stiff competition for the youth vote from the Taiwan People's Party.
2: We already have 11 representatives at local councils. The main difference between us and the Taiwan People's Party is that we already have an excellent record at the local level. In addition, the New Power Party's nomination process is handled very carefully. Our decision-making and our policies are open and transparent. I think that's another thing that differentiates us somewhat from the Taiwan People's Party.
1: The New Power Party has seen a mass exodus in recent years. To save itself from marginalization, it will need to name inspiring candidates for the mayoral elections and to secure a foothold in the councillor race.
3: Actor Ridian Vaughn is a stylist for the day. He helps the man choose a tuxedo. Then, Vaughn hands the man a red envelope to wish him a Happy New Year. Vaughn was invited to serve as an ambassador for the Zen and Homeless Social Welfare Foundation. He called on more people to donate to the foundation to help support its annual Lunar New Year banquet.
2: It's a bit tighter. We're a bit tighter you know, a bit low on the budget this year. But you know, we're not. We're not giving up. We are going to each each household, and we'll be sharing with them um, food uh, and a red envelope. Um, you know, e- equally spreading the love and the care. And uh, this year, we especially need help from all parties, from from society. No matter, no matter where you are, you know if you can hear us, if you can see this, take a few minutes, go on, uh, go on the internet, search for us, understand us, and if it resonates with you, then please help us.
3: The foundation's 32nd Lunar New Year banquet will not be held in person this year due to the pandemic. Instead, goods will be delivered to banqueters. It's been a tough year, and the foundation says it's raised only 50% of its goal. Our
2: services didn't stop, even during the most critical moments. We still sent gifts to our disadvantaged friends. It is true that so far this year, we have only raised 50 percent of the funds we had aimed for for the event. We're in a bit of an emergency.
3: This year, the foundation will hand out gifts from January 17th to 28th to around 12,000 people throughout Taiwan. Organizers are calling on the public to help out so that underprivileged people can also enjoy a hot Lunar New Year's meal. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang, Zhongshui in Taipei.
0: Well, a local train station uh, in Tainan has become a hot new tourist destination, thanks to the arrival of a new resident. Nyo station was first renovated in a classic, picturesque style by local borough chief Zeng Jing-er. Then he decided to adopt a rescue cow and make the station its playground. The unique station now enjoys lots of visitors who come to enjoy the bovine atmosphere.
2: The park cut near Chotts station. Its classic decor is worthy of a film set, attracting many visitors. But the station has an even more special twist up its sleeve. <laughs> 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 With some trepidation, visitors approach a large cow. The brown breed is a rare sight, and selfies are much sought after. And this is a man responsible for his presence, local borough chief Zheng ting Er. He never owned cattle before, but now he's a dedicated cow dad.
3: Yeah.
2: Come on.
3: Before it was taken away, it kept looking at me. It turned and wanted to eat something, but I couldn't get his tongue around the plant. It was watching me. I think it knew it wasn't in a good situation.
2: As he explains, the cow was put up for sale when it became too sick for farm work and was destined for the butchers. But its baleful eyes moved Zheng to leap to the rescue. With help from a business donor, he managed to buy the creature for 130,000 NT. His adopted baby is now named Shisanye.
3: When the weather's good, I lead it over to the train station park so that people can take photos with it, so people can have good luck just like his and run into a rich benefactor on the street.
2: Shisanye has all the star quality needed to possess this beautiful station. The name Yo Chouzi refers to a large herd of cows. After a long break, the station has got its namesake back and throngs of admirers to boot. After
0: almost 50 years of disuse, a historical brick kiln in Hualien is set to reopen as a cultural attraction. The site features one of the best-preserved Hoffman Kilns in Taiwan. It was once a hub for construction industry in Hualien, and the kiln's guardians are soon to start offering guided tours. We had to stoop down to get inside, but with a guided
4: tour from the kiln's third-generation owner, we got a glimpse into the hidden world of the old kiln. These columns, the pools, and the flower beds, we made these after we converted the place. The kiln was gradually phased out of use as Taiwan's construction industry transformed and with the whole growth of ecological awareness. In 1972, it was decommissioned, and the interior was redesigned. But many shafts in the ground remain in the long rooms, as well as underground tunnels once needed for ventilation. Hoffman kilns used manpower to transport red bricks. In here, if you look, you see the tracks. They used trolleys or kiln trolleys stacked with bricks, and that mechanical power replaced the manpower. Aside from the main kiln, the site was also home to a semi-automated tunnel kiln, a testament to the evolution of the brick-making industry. Owner Xu Jie told us how after Hoffman Kiln was built in 1966, it couldn't keep up with demand, after which the tunnel kiln was made. Together, the two kilns supplied the whole construction industry between Yuli Hualian and Tai Dong. We're taking reservations for visitors. You can see what a brick kiln actually looks like. Many people have heard of it, but not seen it. And we offer guided tours. This brick kiln is preserved in good condition. There are other kilns in Hualien, but none are in as good condition as this. The Hoffman Kiln provides a glimpse into what brickmaking was like in its heyday. Wildlife lovers will also be able to see a colony of bats who have taken up residence in the tunnel kiln. Red Brick may be a thing of the past, but its legacy lives on.